so we can start with the chanting practice vidya are you ready with that yeah which shloka are we chanting today so we'll do 11 12 13 that's what we did last time right vidya correct 11 12 13 yeah so we'll just revise them so if vidya if you can lead us so you can say that and we'll all mute ourselves and just repeat after her भगवानुवाचानंदशोचस्वी गता Any volunteers to repeat this one? Anyone wants to try? Uh, I'm sorry. Which look is this? Two point eleven. Okay. Um, Ashok, Ashok, Shyam, Ram, Ray. Okay, I can try. Do yeah. I repeat? Do I just chant or do I repeat after? Just chant. Just chant. Shri Bhagavan Uvacha Ashochyanam Asho Ashochyanam Vashochastvam Pragnyavadamsha Bhashase Gata Suna Gata Sumsha Na Nushochanti Pandita. Very nice. Thank you. So we'll go for the next one, Vidya. Natvaham jatu nasam, natvam ni me janadhipava, nacheva na bhavishyamaha, sarvevayamataparam. Same. Anyone wants to volunteer for the next one? Mitra. Yeah. Go ahead, Shamla. Natveva ham jatu nasam, natvam ne me janadi paha, na chayva na bhavishyamaha, sarvevaya mata. Param. Very nice. Next one. Yeah, we'll do the two point thirteen. Dehi nosnyatha dehi kaumaram yavanam jara.
no one is volunteering let me try my yep. sort of i'm not very good at it sorry okay dehi no smin yatha dehe kaumaryam yauvanam jara tatha dehant prap dehant raprapti dhirastra namuyate I didn't know the last second one line actually. Can you repeat that, uh, Vidya, if you don't mind? Dehi no sminyatha dehi kaumaram yauvanam jara tatha dehantara prapiti You need a whistle, brother. Dheerastatrana muhyati let me do the second line which I struggled with. Tatha dehantara prapti hiras tatra namuhyati Tatha dehantara prapti Tatha dehantara prapti Prapti hi? Prapti hi, okay, yeah. all right, so Rajesh just asked me to summarize the last GD. He did send me some of his notes, so I'll probably just make use of them. So in the last GD, uh, we started with 2.11. 2.11 is actually a very important shloka because that's the first shloka when Krishna starts the teaching. So, so that's the relevance of that shloka. And he actually starts with the summary of the solution of the fundamental problem. And the fundamental problem is not a topical problem. It is more of a generic problem, which is because of ignorance, we have other different topical problems. And this reminded me of uh, the story that Satya had shared about the second arrow. So it's not that we are not solving the first arrow problem, even if when it hits, it's not the first arrow which causes more issue. It is the second arrow, which is the grieving and the and the you know the the issue we face is issue we face because of the ignorance or because of the attachment or because of the uh, you know how we feel about it that causes more problem. So Gita tries to solve the fundamental problem uh, that is by removing this ignorance. Um, it is almost what it, what Krishna is trying to do is uh, when Arjun says, how will this grief go away? He's almost trying to make his problem as illegitimate problem. That why are you grieving for you know those who have gone or those who have not gone because the soul is ever, ever living. So, you know, nobody really goes anywhere. We just continue to live in a different body. So, um, so I think uh, then... Uh, Rajesh has mentioned about that, that, you know, 
when this concept of atma came we briefly discussed you know whether some of us thought it was ridiculous or incredulous or if it truly and we we went on discussing about that uh, then we we briefly touched about you know uh, why we fear death when every day when we go to sleep and next day when we wake up you know the past the day which has gone past it's almost like that day is dead so it's a new day when it starts so it is same as that when we get into a new body it is that the old body has died but why do we still fear death um and then we discussed briefly about the free will i'm not going to go into that detail that's one and never it's it's always an, an open question so so i leave it at that and then i think two things which we there was one thing which we discussed almost towards the end i don't think we elaborated on it but uh, rajesh had briefly mentioned it and it was that there's a law that if there's a memory uh that means that person has first hand experience of that or heard about it memory cannot it's not that i can memorize what you went through right so so the person who has the memory is the one is the same one who has experienced it and why it is relevant is it is in the last shloka that we did last time which was uh, uh which was about the uh different state stages in life so it's the same person who went through the childhood the youth and the adulthood uh because if it was different person then we wouldn't have the memory of that so so you know how we change that similarly we change the body also it's just that in the next body even though some people say that you know till you start speaking you still have memory of the past life but there's no one nowhere to prove that but then we we sort of forget it but it is somewhere in the sanskars etc because some of the things we can't explain some of the some of the uh, things we we go somewhere and suddenly feel i have been to that place you know some people have those experiences so i think the idea is that the memory continues because it is the same person which is going from one life to the other and then the last point that i wanted to highlight was uh, i don't think we discussed it um, the word dhir which is used in uh, again uh, 2.13 what it means is dhir is a person who's endowed with this knowledge about self and he also deploys this knowledge to overcome the suffering so not only just having the knowledge is important but also deploying that knowledge or using that knowledge those are the people who are called dhir and sometimes it is also used for those people who are eligible for this knowledge so that means they have done you know some spiritual practices so i thought you know i uh, we didn't discuss we didn't touch upon that part and i thought that was quite important so so now open to the discussion for the next two shlokas uh, as usual upon altna a question on dhira yeah i think you said it means sort of the wise one right or the knowledgeable one yeah but isn't dhira also somebody who has patience yeah i think uh, the there's one commentary which actually goes into a little bit more into detail dhi is the word which is buddhi it comes from the intellect so one who has that intellect and intellect refers to the knowledge so that's the root word 
but dhir is also used uh, for having somebody having patience and the idea is that patience usually comes with a wider knowledge or you know you have a view overarching view because of which you are able to show that so yes it is also used for patience but the root word dhi is actually buddhi so it means so the, the one who has the buddhi or the, or the knowledge yeah So anyone wants to open up for the 2.14 or 15, anything that struck a chord? I just wanted to bring it uh, Yeah, go ahead, Kishore. No, no, no. Okay. I, you know, the two point fourteen reminded me of uh, what we went through in Tattva Buddha. Uh, that you know, um, uh, the you know, we we have these uh, like, for example, we have eyes or we have ears. You know, those are not the. Um, I mean, uh, uh, I mean the, the the one that is behind. Uh, it are the indriyas through which are the ones through which we sense the object and not like you know even a dead body may have an eye but it is not able to really uh, you know able to see right so the the uh, the capacity to uh, the sensory capacity to see or hear you know is something that um, you know uh, uh, that is beyond the uh, the object that is uh, i mean that what we call as uh, the one through which we feel the senses right so i think um, I, so he says that i mean swami swami ji says that you know so we we are not you know an object is perceived not by the sense organs but through them so i was kind of trying to relate to what we went through in tatvavada actually yeah yeah i know i think this is a um, in some ways it's kind of eye opening when we first read this right we never think of it this way um and uh, in another uh, commentary i read so there are infinite experiences around right in the world uh, they are captured through five sense organs so no matter what everything we know just has come through these five sense organs right if you really think about it that's the only way for us to know anything so infinite to five and then it is perceived by the mind right so mind is the one that's behind these sense organs which are getting these inputs through eyes and ears and what not but then it's converting that into into a um sensory perception like a perception saying this is what it is right uh, what those signals that are uh, it, it's making sense out of it making a mental picture and then presenting it to the intellect right so that perception though can uh, it, it can be of uh, usually what happens is the five um, inputs that come in are converted as okay i like it or i do not like it right so typically there's a like or dislike so it goes into uh, two which is i like or not like and and uh, and then it's presented right so if you um, a, this is an important one because uh, understanding how our mind our own mind works right that's what this is about right in in many ways this is psychology this is how um it, it's our own understanding of 
how the mind works and if we start to realize that you know when somebody says something or we experience something that's uh, unpleasant it is our own mind that's saying that this is unpleasant right that thing or experience itself cannot be unpleasant but it's how we interpret it so um there's a lot of psychology mixed right here in this uh, where we start to start to learn um more about our own mind so i just want to point that out and and one way to get there you know to understand that is also by understanding that nothing is forever right Every, everything yes. will change. change so yeah so anything that's painful is not forever anything that's pleasurable is not forever so you know don't get too sad or too happy about anything very true but this too sorry sir go ahead alpana just, just wanted to add to manu saying that you know that this too shall pass is something almost in in every language there would be an equivalent of that you know i mean uh, that's what i wanted to just say <laughs> Yeah, absolutely yeah i just wanted to uh, you know the first word of the 2.14 shloka matra sparshastu so i read you know where did this word word come from and how does it relate to the vishay ma actually refers to measurement mapna jisko bolte hain so matra is one which measures and interestingly indriyas are as kishore was explaining we only have five sense organs which actually measure this entire thing that we see and by measure i mean to say that you know when you see you you sort of measure it is from here to here or or you know you measure the color of it you measure the size of it similarly you measure the sound by hearing it so the matra word is actually used for indriya so that's how it has it has come too uh, and the reason this ma is important is because even in om the word ma actually refers to one which measures so so matra is the one which is the indriya and sparsh refers to it comes in contact with whatever it comes in contact with so that is the meaning of the sparsh not just the touch but you know that eyes come in contact so that sanyog so matra sparshartu that's why it refers to as the vishay or the you know the the objects of perception so i thought that was quite interesting to you know understand where where this has come from and uh, um i think that yeah what manu was referring to is from agama pai that means they come and go so anything that we experience always comes and go and that's why it is anitya and uh, um i think we should discuss a little bit on titikshaswa you know because that's a that's a key quality uh you know that's being highlighted in this particular one so any thoughts anyone wants to share what does it mean actually um it reminded me of a story i had heard a long time back uh, with um, uh, my grandma used to say for sri ramkrishna she was she was big into his books so she used to tell me it doesn't mean it's weakness you know just bearing everything doesn't mean it's weakness you know so she used to tell a story about a snake that uh, um, you know ramkrishna i believe used to say this story and i don't know you may have heard it that there was a snake that uh, um, got this mantra from a brahmin that said you know you repeat this mantra and it will help you to be good and just don't do any harm to anybody so then um, 
these uh, kids then the snake became very good so when these kids used to come and taunt it it never used to hiss at them so the kids got bolder and they took it by the tail and started beating it around and soon it was all beaten up so when the brahmin came back and he said what happened to you he said well i was good i repeated the mantra and i did no harm to anybody and then um, this uh, the brahmin said i did not ask you to hiss to, uh, you know not to hiss to protect yourself you know just meant that don't bite and don't inject your venom into anybody i didn't tell you not to hiss to protect yourself so basically just reminded me of that story that just overbearance is just you know, doesn't mean you're weak or just let whatever comes to you and just bear it like it is it just means that you know you have the right to protect yourself but you should not do any harm so that's yeah. just what i'm telling you Yes. Yes. Extremely powerful word. Uh, again, it comes down from what we learned in Sadhana Chatushtayam. That's certainly one of the words other sites where Vivek and Vairagya sort of certainly caught my attention. And uh, I was reading about the Diksha and there is like a huge body of commentary around, uh, around the Diksha, mental forbearance, people talk about it as peace, people talk about it as strength, as Ranjini you were mentioning. Uh, and I, I read something, again, very similar to what you just mentioned, which is that, you know, we think of strength as, you know, power, right? And being sort of power to kind of do what we wish to others. So, so you know, if somebody does something harm to you or somebody gives you a gali on the street, for example, right? Strength is not in giving back. It's certainly not about being a doormat, of course, right? But it is not about giving back. I think the strength is in your ability to pull back your punches. Right? That is that is that requires more strength than just letting your emotions flow. And to me, that was a good example of mental forbearance to say, if I gave back, what would I gain? And but you know, in the heat of the moment, you you would do things, but just the ability to not do something which others expect you to do or something that you might do on impulse. Is greater strength and therefore greater dedication. So, uh, Ajay, uh, just to extend, uh, very nicely said, both of, um, actually, both Ranjani and Ajay, uh, I just want to extend that point, right? Um, if you see why, uh, if you ask, okay, why should I hold the punches, right? That might be a question somebody may ask. So, if somebody insulted you, why wouldn't you give it back, right? So, the, uh, if you just kind of inquire into that uh, on why, it eventually comes down to this, at least for me, um, uh, just based on asking these questions. Um, finally, our own mind, right? We want to be, our, our mind needs to be in a, in a, in, in, to be centered, right? In equipoise as long as possible, as much as possible. So um, if we allow this uh, external interaction to upset us and, and we give it back, we know that after that incident is over, which will be, which it will be, uh, the second arrow is going to strike, and we are going to keep going. Uh, uh, we are going to be disturbed based on how we reacted, right? So, by holding the punches back to the extent possible, and then reacting appropriately, we know that that whole situation is not going to disturb us later, right? So, it finally boils down to. Uh, removing one more or developing a quality that will allow us to keep our mind centered and in uh, equipoise um, in all situations, right? Which is something that we will learn again 
I mean, this is one of those qualities that's absolutely needed to help us get there, right? Kishore, uh, I just want to add one uh, incident. I read in a book regarding the holding the punches back. Uh, I, I don't know who said this. Someone said, like, if a pig invites you to wrestle in the mud, in a murk kind of thing, yeah, and it, it throws mud at you or something like that, you don't, you don't, uh, you have to control your urge to go and uh, mud wrestle with the pig because number one, both will get dirty, but the pig enjoys it. And then on your case, you don't. <laughs> so it brings you down from your level of uh, sanity, maturity, whatever, down to that level. So it, at right. least for that reason, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Just to add to what Kishore, you were saying, um, I think it's also a function of burning your prarabs also. So yes. if you react to that, then at least that's how I think about and try to practice yeah. is that, you know, if you react, then you're adding more to your baggage. So. Exactly. So you're, you're reinforcing that. Yeah, reinforcing the, uh, the um, response is getting reinforced in our samsara. So the next time a situation like this happens, we are going to respond in the same way. But now you're breaking that somehow right by holding the punches back now you're reinforcing a different type of response so eventually we are going to get to a point where we we are more aware right? yeah I'm, uh, going back to the notes from the tattva discussion um it says it's to you know you want to increase your tolerance threshold so i think that's basically what you know if once we try to start holding our punches back slowly we'll, you know, our tolerance will go up. Very well said, Manu. Just wanted to share, um, this morning I had a curriculum class. I wanted to join some to learn from Tamil, which I haven't learned. And it's so relevant to what we are doing. So she taught me 301 curriculum and it says that um, you want to control your anger and there are three ways to control. One is you can control anger to a person or any anything or event, which is someone, which is equal to you uh, in any, always. Or those who are you know, powerful or more or better, uh, you can control your anger. But the person who can control their anger um, for those people who are weaker than you or lesser than you, whether they are in age or intellect or anything, um, that's where you want to be uh, because if you show your anger to those people uh, or those young children or anyone for that matter, um, the it will come back to you and your karma would be, you know, affected. Then they would be hurt definitely, but your karma would be affected. And she said that and she said how she had read and, uh, you know, seen in different lectures how this therapy was taken back to Gita <laughs> and shlokas of Gita and, you know, explained again, like how it is important to have that balance in your life and keep striving. So just wanted to share this morning's experience. Very cool. Very well discussed. I think I had just one more, more point, which kind of we covered. So, so yes, uh, it is to, uh, to bear it. Uh, without any pratikar, which is without any counterattack or anything. And the other thing is without complaining. So it doesn't make sense to, you know, to, to keep 
to keep saying that it is very hot and then wearing it right so just be careful and not not complain about it as well so that was one more point which was added that when you are that is yogi level <laughs> do do something about it so yes go up get up and do something about it if you if you can't really bear it but but otherwise do not keep complaining about it either yeah but i want to add the caveat that uh, ranjani talked about you know i think it has to be uh, natural to your uh, you know the the role that you are playing there actually you know a policeman trying to control crowd um, you know will have to show a, you know certain bit of aggression because that is what is expected in that role because otherwise what happened to the snake will is what will happen to the frontline people right so i i and uh, but i agree with what uh, you know vidya said on the rural part you know so uh, i have the power i have a, i have a, a weapon uh, with which i am protecting myself so but you know when do i use it i mean what is my threshold for using that uh, that has to be um, i mean yeah. we, we have to look at it from with that caveat actually i mean it cannot be that and i'm yeah that is so well said because i think what ranjini explained is very important but at the same time just um, since morning class happened and suddenly i saw my whatsapp and my son's class at it finished at 8:30 and my son's class started mudangam class at 8:30 which is unusual and he hadn't gotten up so my normal you know self me would have just gone and said get up right with a angry mood but i had just learned that and i i said get up it's 8:30 and then when he got up he was still sleepy and he did not react so i said okay i gave him you know little massage here and i said then he said what's the time and i said 8:30 8:30 i need to get up i know vedangam class could be there so he had that and i could not get angry usually i would get angry why didn't you get up and all that and the two minutes i did not get angry he was there for the class in five minutes so what was the reaction i was just amazed what i learned and i applied to total you know his his uh, his getting up in five minutes getting ready and be on the class and the sir said okay let's go with the first class and he just started banging i was like so amazed but it was all because i could not i did not get angry and i could see that reaction so i, I just wanted to explain that um, and then i was getting late for this class and alpana gave because it was all new device i didn't have kishore's number and everything and it was so calming that i could still be on time for this class so just wanted to express that uh, one one more one more uh, moment of the needle for you right in the right direction vidya <laughs> yeah every day right uh, that's excellent I guess, yeah i guess we'll come to it at some point we've spoken about it in the past but i remember we had a long conversation in one of the sessions around reacting versus responding yeah. i think that's where it kind of the rubber sort of meets the road because we yeah. all at various times more often than not react rather than respond and i think what vidya you did today was respond well done yeah yeah 
very good example. Satya, to your point, I just want to point out one thing. See, um, uh, you, you spoke about the policeman who has to show aggression. No, even that aggression, even though it can be shown externally, does not need to affect that person's mind, right? You know, you don't have to be angry in your mind to show anger. You can pretend to be angry, right? So that will still not affect you internally. Your mind is still calm. But you know this is my duty, and hence you're going to talk in a stern way or or scold somebody. But it's not like literally affecting you because if you see how what happens when we're angry, if you kind of play back sometimes when we were, um, uh, Swami Guru Parananda Ji actually says this really well. Um, it's almost like you have to burn yourself first before you burn somebody else with the anger, right? So he talks about. It's the equivalent of having taking acid in your hand and then trying to throw it on somebody. I mean, I know it's a crude example, but he uses this. But saying that first it affects you, right? Burns you, and then whatever remaining affects others. So the eighty percent of it is is affecting you. So understanding that that the anger is actually burning you first, and whatever remaining, very little remaining, is actually affecting others. So why? Right. Then, so th this is this is something that will force us to think: Why are we then doing it? Right. It's affecting us because the way it's affect affecting us is how we become, um, uh, you know, irritated, agitated for a long period of time because we said something that we shouldn't have said uh, in the heat of the moment. So uh, that's where it comes back. Right. So uh, um, yeah. That's one point. The, the second point, Alpana, uh, too, I also want to find out. Titiksha also means forbearance towards um, results that come to you, right? In the sense, as we do things when we don't, again, in a way, the, the second part of Karma Yoga, which we haven't handled, but when things come back, uh, you know, we, when we do something, we are going to have results come back to you, right? Some may be in your favor, some may not be in your favor. Uh, forbearance is then being able to accept whatever comes back, right? So that, that is yet another way of uh, looking at uh, the Tiksha. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, thanks for highlighting that because specifically if you look at this particular shloka, it actually more in that context because the first line says, you know, you will have that anukulta and pratikulta, you, you will have favorable and, and unfavorable response to, you know, <clears throat> every perception you will have. So it would be out uh, as an outcome of a, of an action or otherwise, you know, when you have, when any of your sense of, or uh, organs of perception are, you know, meeting with any of its object, objects, they are, they will come and go and they are not constant and hence bear them. So, yeah. you know, so <clears throat> keeping that in back of the mind that nothing is permanent. I think that's another way to look at you know, so obviously it is very important what you were highlighting that it'll hurt us only in the long run. And another way is to mentally keep thinking that whatever the situation is, it it has come, but it'll go. So you can bear it. You know? so so that's another one which gives some energy to you know deal with it that it's not and not going not going to be a constant thing. Whatever right. comes has to go as well. Yes. So that's the meaning of this full shloka, you know, in, in totality. And the zipper, go ahead, Sonali. 
you are suffering in this life maybe because of some karma in your past life okay your prarab uh, whatever you say so in that case jesus christ suffered so much in his life so do you think he had some prarab karma in his previous life that he suffered in his life and still we consider him as god you know just a question that came to my mind you know why do we make these analogies like you what your life is you know i mean even ramakrishna ramakrishna suffered so much in his life ramakrishna yeah. suffered so much in his life so did he have some prarab karma that he he suffered in his current life and then you know we idolize him as god or close to god but they also take suffering from other people because people can help as well but it's again that is probably more of a question of faith i would say so i don't think we can completely justify or not justify we can completely um understand if it happens that we are not but at least it is one mechanism which let us explain at least a number of things otherwise it will bring a lot of you know it brings some peace to mind that whatever anybody is going through if it is it's his own karma it at least gives us some way to explain it otherwise there's no explanation that means then the whole world is just random but then you would believe in luck i'm saying if you believe in karma you don't have to believe in luck right so yeah. so there are arguments pros and cons probably to both sides yeah, he, he, he yeah just wanted to add oh. go ahead sanam yeah so that is what exactly i think we cannot for sure say that you know because of your prarab karma that you have suffering in this life i mean maybe it is because of it or maybe not i agree they are suffering because they didn't read vedanta yes. suffering huh? is a state of mind suffering is a state of mind okay pain so- is physical this one so if you are suffering they didn't read vedanta they didn't understand the meaning of vedanta uh, what exactly suffering is all about human birth itself is suffering i mean i mean if you and if anybody has to understand let me give you an example one of my friend who was very happy suddenly he had problems with his wife now it is lifelong suffering or lifelong happiness he wants yeah, to leave his wife but he cannot leave so i mean if you consider this as suffering then i mean i mean this is not the way one has to look at life in vedanta suffering yes you will have suffering but we have to look into a right perspective of it how to deal with its suffering and how to go beyond suffering that yeah. is vedanta karma any everybody anywhere it will attack there's no need yeah. i mean tomorrow we go outside accident cannot happen there's no uh, i mean uh, rule there accident can happen to anyone and there's no guarantee for anything in the world so uh, again, yes. again but again the, the but again we are saying that uh, he is he suffered jesus christ or ram krishna probably it's our perception that he suffered yeah, yeah because probably, i was going to say too yeah <laughs> um the, the, this mm-hmm. because uh, that's our awareness right so uh, probably at a high level probably they didn't and they came to probably this uh, manifestation uh, to to um, give an example to us right uh, for a reason but uh, but going beyond this i was reading through page 82 uh, where it says the purpose of life for everyone is to attain perfection right 
when we say perfection, from what I understood at least, is, is at a subtle level, experiencing the joy and sorrow at, at the same level. So whether you um, feeling joy, you don't take to the extent uh, and get excited um, and in the same way, sorrow, right? And I, I, I to comprehend mine, <laughs> whatever knowledge I have, I thought it's at a very subtle level, right? So, uh, but bringing, of course, joy and sorrow at a subtle level, you can train your mind to say, okay, uh, if you're feeling sorrow, okay, you can train yourself saying that this is going to be momentary. It's not stay, it won't stay long. And you've got to let go certain feelings and come to a state, equilibrium state, right? And in that, same as joy, of course. But um, we still have this gross body, right? So if someone is going through a pain or an accident and um, we know it's momentary, it goes, it would go, someone will get cured at some point or leave this body. But when they are going through that extreme pain, gross pain, how can we train ourselves? Okay, this is going to be momentary. Um, that is something I'm not able to comprehend. Uh, if someone could explain. No, so a number of people have raised hand. We'll come back to this question, so I'll remember it. Uh, Rajiv, go ahead. You have raised your hand. Yeah. So, you know, I just want to, you know, before I joined the Gita group, you know, I always believed that, you know, if somebody says something to me, I return it with a due interest. And, uh, you know, that's because my community, we don't take debt. So I'll tell you what was the justification for that. There were three, you know, things I've just noted it down. Zurm karna bhi paap hai aur sehna bhi paap hai. Okay, that was the first. I just, I'm just telling you how the mind tricks you. You know, till I knew what Kishore explained. So, agar, you know, sehna galat hai, to baapis badla to lena padega. Then other thing was, you know, this poem in school, you know, utho paar gandhi uthao or sambalo. So, I was always ready. Main dhanush leke chalta tha ki koi kuch gole sida tir chalalo. <laughs> so that, that was always there. I was really listening to Krishna a lot, you know. And third is, you know, the difference in Delhi and Bombay, lived, living in two cities. So I had to change my language, you know, when I went from Delhi to Bombay. And when I came back, then I used to understand, you know, if you combine all these three, Jurum to Sena Nichiye. You know, and tir chalado, okay, na? And uh, also, usko usi ki language mein samjhana hai. So I used to think, you know, I mean, I'm not saying used to think, but this was a programming which said, yeah, you know, hisab kitab barabar karke chalo, koi tumko kuch galat kya raha hai, so then you give it back. You know, so I really, you know, dwelled a lot on this, uh, you know, to swallow it in or to give it back. And I think after I joined this class, you know, I realized ki neither you have to swallow it nor you have to spit it. Firstly, you know, that reaction should not come. And, uh, you know, it's like just connecting the dots. So one of my coach told me, you know, he says, this guy said this to you, this guy said this to you. So, you know, 
आप सारी जिंदगी एक काम करो बदला ही लेते रहो यू नो इसको ठीक कर दूंगा उसको ठीक कर दूंगा सो हिस इज लाइफ विल एंड गुस्सा दिखाना है आना नहीं चाहिए and uh, you know the example which uh, somebody told me uh, you know is that just try to imagine the face of ram when he was uh, you know you know putting the final arrow to ravan or you know even before that i mean if you imagine his face was there any agitation anger sale tere ko chhodunga nahi tumhi bivi ko daake le gaya you know there was nothing like that so it was just you know i mean if i i don't know i mean we were not alive but if you read any scripture i think he had serenity he was calm i mean just imagine it's the final you know thing and he's done so much wrong has been done against ram but was he so agitated was he angry what he was saying that you know main tere khoon ka pyasa hu it's all none of that i mean he just did the job and you know finished him off so i just wanted but to he, add this perspective he did take the revenge what he did take the revenge right yes he did he did take the revenge so you know and he but what happened in a very calm manner No, yeah. no, no. He took the revenge. He got his wife back. He did not take revenge. That's not revenge. Got his wife. Yeah, that's different from taking revenge. I would say, you know. Okay, sorry. You're I, right. I, I. Yeah, yeah. you're right. So I see this uh, revenge business. No, I think uh, you know. I think one has to be really evolved. You know, even still, I am saying I still struggle with it. You know, yeah. because secretly I do want to settle the score or. you know when i when i try to be spiritual i say chalo yaar i you should delegate some things to god also no why should i do it let god do it but if he takes lot of time then i might jump in and do it again so <laughs> i don't think i'm still that evolved you know ki chalo yaar maaf kar diya if i say maaf kar diya it will be bachcha samajh ke maaf kar diya it will not be that you know one didn't get agitated or you know as i said that sometimes situation will not warrant you to take the revenge and then you say okay let's leave it to god you know he should also have some work to do and uh, you know so, let's see but you know if you let it go that person will continue to you know harm you whatever way he is harming you or damaging you if you don't you know set your foot right there and you know stop him from doing that he will continue to damage you harm you so, or taking advantage okay. of you so, so that I that should have to be settled because unless that he will continue to take advantage of the situation i will continue damage you you know so that equation somebody has to put that foot even you do not take the revenge you have to tell him that you need to stop actually uh, okay. sanali can you pass it yeah. yeah sure 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 just give because there are so many hands so vidya your neck definitely sorry sorry for okay. uh, no problem uh, sanali what you are bringing is pretty good because then all of us yeah. are able to share so And don't at all worry. Uh, I am just still laughing with the way how Rajiv said all these nice things in a really dialogue movie dialogue manner. <laughs> But what I wanted to um, come back to is, uh, you know, how Alpana said it's important to look at the picture and uh, you know answer a little bit of what Sonali had with the uh, um, you know the movie. where uh, harry potter 
basically dies uh, when Voldemort, you know, kills him. And he goes back to whatever loka, if you, if you can relate to our, uh, um, you know, Upanishads or our way of being, right? Hinduism or... Um... So he goes and he's dead and he sees all these good people, his mother, his, uh, his father, everything. And then he sees his guru and he says that, you know, you, when you were down there, you were in pain because somebody killed you and you are up here. Now it's your choice whether you want to go back and settle, settle in the sense that, uh, again, dharma, adharma. They were also fighting for dharma and adharma. So he says, it's your choice. You can be in a happy place like how we are, or you can go back and fight Voldemort. And he decides to go back and fight Voldemort. And it was just amazing to see that picture movie to see how he again goes through the pain, like how maybe Ramakrishna went through or, uh, you know, what you said, Sonali, so many Jesus Christ went through. But they came, they had a purpose in life. They had, they wanted to fight for dharma. So that's how I see it, whether it's uh, Jesus or whether it's uh, Paramahansa or whether it's uh, even Harry Potter in the movie. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I just wanted to bring that up and see like what you, what we really want to do, what we want to see as ourselves, that we are that higher um, entity and we want to fight for that. So, so that, that's where I, I just wanted to share. Um, maybe it will help you or not. Okay, you're next, and then three. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, I just quick response to, to Rajiv's comment. I think we're all sort of mortals. I mean, I was reminded of uh, the story from the Mahabharata that we're reading sort of separately, which is how, um, you know, Drona being like such a, uh, such a revered sort of guru, he also wanted to take revenge from Drupada, uh, although he could have just let it go. Right. So I think we're all sort of at a much different level. So, you know, I, I think that that's kind of far for the course. But just going back to the more substantive sort of conversation around Prarabdha uh, and uh, suffering that uh, Sonali brought up, I think Prarabdha is certainly something which helps me rationalize uh, because that sort of explains uh, a variety of things that we've all sort of struggled through. Uh, you know, why is somebody better than the other person, more brilliant, uh, more sharper, whatever, you know, we all have aspirations and we know some, there's always somebody who's way better than us and Prarabdha is a great way to explain it. Uh, uh, the second point I wanted to make was that again on Prarabdha, this whole point about settling of scores, uh, I think uh, in karma, you know, there is no direct settling of scores, you know, you, you do a bad karma, it will come back and bite you. Uh, you can't say that somebody else did a bad, bad, something bad to me because that is his karma. My prarabdha is mine. So I think that sort of helps me think about it as, you know, why do I need to get into this crap because I'm just creating negative energy. And then the third point, uh, Sonali, that you brought up about suffering, I think I've thought about it often. Uh, and, you know, that's intrigued me massively because you kind of say, you know, why do, you know, you, you can blame it, you can kind of rationalize it using prarabdha, but Beyond the point, I think the larger purpose of suffering is something which is kind of beginning to dawn on me, reading about sort of this whole ultimate goal of happiness. Because if we all were happy, then we would not be here. We would have attained the ultimate, right? And often su suffering actually helps us reflect on what is the true purpose of our lives. And maybe that is why 
you know, people like Jesus or Ramakrishna Paramahansa got inspired in their lives to say, okay, I'm suffering, but what is my ultimate goal? And then they were able to inspire millions of people to think in a certain way in order to kind of live a better life, to think positively, to look at what is the ultimate purpose of life. So suffering is not all bad. Suffering also has an, a kind of a role to play in the ultimate goal of life. Yeah. Very, very true. Very true. Very true. Yes. <clears throat> kind of, I mean, it kind of gives you a sense of direction as to what I need to do to get out of it. Yeah. Correct. Shri, you want to go ahead yeah. next? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I want to just uh, add on to a few discussions that uh, uh, Lakshmi had meant, raised about uh, Ramakrishna, Jesus, and others' uh, suffering. I just want to, there's a fine, subtle line of difference there between pain and suffering. Their, their body definitely felt the pain, but I don't think they ever suffered because feeling the pain, they had that uh, self-realization to differentiate between their body and their uh, atma here. So their body definitely, Ramakrishna, Ramana Maharshi had painful experience of cancer. So they went through that definitely that physical endurance of that pain, but they never felt attached to that pain. So that they almost almost like they were able to shield off and carry on. So that the fine thing which we haven't obviously realized. That's why we continue to uh, our pain and suffering is same for us. But for them, they were able to distinguish between the pain and the suffering. So they never let it, they had the, like a wall built that could uh, help them continue with their inner goal, purpose, whatever. And then the other topic that Sonali had raised about uh, uh, Rama ultimately seeking revenge. Um, I just want to mention again, the, the revenge concept, he was not really intent on getting back with Ravana. He, uh, to uh, Vidya's point, his motive was to bring back Sita. And then he also didn't go to violence right away. He went through the Samadana Beda Danda. He first sent a messenger uh, trying to convince, okay, here, discussion, trying to convince, okay, what he did is wrong and so on. Then he sent uh, Hanuman as a messenger and the messenger failed. Then he uh, went into a little bit of uh, compromise. Okay, he said, I will make you uh, this offer and so on. And then he went into the Beda where he won over one of uh, Rama, Ramana's brother as his ally. So he created differences between their own family. And then finally, when all these things didn't, didn't work, he, he used a danda thing, he went for the war. So even there here, so he had the maturity to um, control his urges for violent reaction that we are usually prone to. For us, Swami, straight away, the danda is the first option. For, and then most of us the same, do the same thing. So that way, I just want to just add that flavor. Very interesting. Thanks. Thanks, Shri. Yes, that was very apt. Mukul? You want to go next? Sure. Uh, thanks. Uh, actually, this, uh, this question on pain and suffering, uh, at least the way I kind of reconcile over the years, I mean, it's not, this, this very, I mean, it's kind of tricky one, is uh, it's really a question of identity. This is how I understand it. Uh, in the case of uh, Ramana Maharishi, right? He had a, there's an incident where it, uh, they, they do a surgery on him and the cancer without, uh, there's no anesthesia given. And, and the doctor is watching. There's a bunch of people around also watching it, right? And so the doctor is asking, are you, are you in, uh, how are you feeling? Right? He says, I have pain, but I don't suffer. And then 
the way I understood that is because he's not, we all identify with identities, right? I am the body, I am this, I am this, I have the name, I am an Indian, I'm whatever, I'm an NRI. There are layers and layers. I'm a husband, I'm a wife. There are layers and layers of identity we all identify with. And Ramana Maharishi, because of the, the consciousness, he's just identified with I am the consciousness, which means uh, he's, this is a body, right? This is part of a body, but he's way beyond that, right? He's a sky and and this body is part of that. It's almost like the way uh, I think I've heard uh, my guru talk about it is, is like a thread in a kerchief, right? So he's the whole cloth. And then this piece of uh, small uh, thing is hanging there. And that is also him, but he's not confined uh, or bound by it. If it's something has happened, he's able to witness this. I think that's, to me, to me the whole question, uh, how, we, how we kind of apply it a lot of times is in situations is... Uh, I think as Raji was saying, a lot of times the impulse is to get back or, but you know, you step back and say, who am I, right? Cause a pause on the identity there, right? If I am, if I am this body, if I am this Mukundan and blah, 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 then I can react from that identity and then it will always be making powerless, right? Because even if I'm reacting, I'm reacting from a lower identity. That's how I always come back to, uh, right? But if I step back and give a pause and say, I am either Mahadeva, Krishna, whatever, you know, I am the consciousness, whichever way we, whichever way we believe as a concept, right, which is something way beyond that, then you suddenly you realize that, you know, okay, this, the compassion comes in, right, the right frame of response comes, that's kind of how I, at least personally apply this uh, idea in, in life, and again, it's not every time I apply, sometimes you do, do get angry and give back, sometimes you create a pause, but uh, it's just always a question of identity. At least that's how I understand. At least I reconcile later on, I contemplate. I say, what identity did I carry there, right? And is that the right identity? Uh, which that's that's how I at least I look at this whole puzzle of suffering and identities. Is is, uh, is that? And one way easily I understand is like you know, we all hear you know somebody died somewhere, right? Um, that doesn't hit us so much when you hear when somebody you know, passes on in your own family. That hits you differently. So, what is really, if you really, the death has happened, right? One, one human being died. But really, what shifts there is the identity is what is shifting. So, this, this really helps me to kind of set the baseline as I kind of, you know, understand this concept. Uh, you know, why X died, you know, my neighbor's family, somebody died, doesn't impact me as much, whereas somebody dies in my family or even somebody's unwell, I suffer so much, right? Because it's just that identity is causing the suffering. Uh, and that's, I think, our Ramana Maharishi and a lot of the enlightened masters, we perceive them to suffer because we are imposing our frame of body-mind onto a master's frame. But if you really look at how they are, they are just, just joyful. Uh, they, they may see pain, but they're just not at all suffering through it. That's how I kind of reconcile those two words. It's just uh, that, That's all, a perspective. That's a great perspective, uh, Manu, go ahead. Yeah, that was really great. I, I think uh, we continuously have to ask ourselves that, you know, who am I and why should I react to whatever the situation is? And I just wanted to say what, what everybody else has been saying, but, you know, the way I think about it is that suffering is a choice. You know, we, uh, we can, I think people can have mental anguish, even with the smallest of things, it can bother us and trouble us and you know, we could be quote unquote suffering, but it boils down to being a choice. And if it's a choice, then we can choose to, you know, give it up and try to keep increasing that 
tolerance threshold, which comes back to you know Tatiksha. Okay, Manu, here uh, I would like to say something. How do you, you know, like uh, it's you said that suffering is a choice, and so here, how would you like to, uh, you know, correlate that with somebody who's in a disease state, like somebody who's suffering from OCD, maybe that person is, uh, you know, very what do you say, uh, stubborn about cleanliness. Right. And if there's something dirty in the house or something, you know, the, a fit would profit. So, but that person is actually in a disease state. So right. there's a question of choice for that person there. I think that, that, you know, they may still do what they need to do, but they don't need to suffer, uh, meaning they don't need to feel upset about it. So you, you can still go ahead and, and fix what you think you need to fix, right? You, oh, this thing is out of place. Let me go and put it back in its place because I don't like it the way it is. But, you know, to get upset or to uh, have it cause mental anguish, I think, and it's not that, you know, we can do that 100% all the time or we can, you know, be uh, in that state all the time but I think that's the state we want to aspire to we want to get there that is our goal so you know at every point I think we have to try to keep increasing that that tolerance that you know to say okay you know it's making me feel really uneasy or bad like but why is it and if I you know is it just that I need to just do it Sometimes, you know, uh, we get upset because our, you know, the kids didn't, didn't why, why did they leave things, you know, lying around or, or why did, you know, somebody else in the family do this or, you know, why did the dog do that? But I think the, the, the thing to aspire to is to say, okay, it's done. How can we address it? Right. And, and uh, while uh, and I, I do think that you know obviously you don't want to just leave everything be and you don't want your house to be messy or whatever but getting upset about it is not helpful and especially it's not helpful to, to it. you it's not going to solve right? anything it's very yeah. upset it's not going to solve anything right it's and, not going to make the house clean right it's not going to make the house clean and it's only going to affect you internally mentally in, right. in a bad way. So you want to get past that. And it's, again, I feel like it's something you constantly have to strive for because it obviously, you know, we have many, many years of conditioning that, that don't allow us to do that, you know, to think that way firsthand, but you have to strive for it. Yeah, thank you, Manu. Kishore, over to you. Yeah, <clears throat> so I just wanted to point out a couple of things, right? <clears throat> In terms of um, uh, our goal in life, right? Uh, if we if we were to connect to a larger goal in life, uh, I, I think the second chapter later on we will see um, where when we uh, reach uh, when we talk about when Krishna talks about sita pragna that that would be one samatvam is another concept that's going to come up, which is equanimity and equipoise, right? Um, and then I uh, when I also look at uh, yoga sutras for instance, where the definition of yoga itself is given in the second 
Sutra is de- uh, yoga is defined as a cessation of thoughts, right? Um, in, in our mind or the mental disturbances. Um, it, it dawned on me uh, that all of this eventually points to having an equanimous mind, right? And where the state of mind is such that there is no, nothing pulling or pushing. There's, we are not desirous, strongly desirous of something, nor are we um, pushing away something that we, we hate. So there is no strong desire or a strong uh, aversion towards something that leaves us in a state of equilibrium in, in, in equipoise. And we want to remain in that state. And that state itself is what is called happiness or bliss. And so when we say we want to be happy, actually, it comes down to this, a, a mind that's really calm, um, uh, uh, really in a state of equilibrium, no matter what is happening around us. So can we be in that state um, f- forever, for that matter, for a long period of time? Can we maintain that? Now, if you look at it, what are the, and the answer is, yes, you can. Just, just that, obviously, we react to situations when, when things happen. How can we reduce the, uh, or change the way we react so that we can continue to maintain those equipoise, right? So to me, it, it started becoming clear that eventually the goal is exactly that, which is how can we maintain our equipoise no matter what? Right? And all of these things are different ways. So one way would be um, in, in terms of understanding the Atman and the fact that who we are, who, are, who am I, is helpful to maintain that state. Because no matter what, okay, I'm, I'm really, I'm going to put a wall between what's happening around me and who I really am. So that's going to give us that state, right? You can stay in that state. Um, yet another way is what uh, Buddha uh, was saying about impermanence. That's yet another way. Okay, this too shall pass, right? So, and then that teaches you to take shower. Again, you're in that state. Now, now, yoga is saying the same thing, saying that, well, uh, the mental disturbances, when they cease, then you are one with your own um, uh, real reality or your, your own real nature. And that is happiness. So they're all pointing to that, to that state where we can keep our mind in that equipoise. So to me then is how do we, what are those things that take us away from this state, right? Because we don't have to go and find that peace or that calmness outside, we cannot. It, it is already that way, but we have to look at things that take away, uh, take us away from that state. Now, if you look at anger, that would be one that is going to take us away from that state, right? So because we are going to respond in a certain way or revenge or whatever, it's going to take us away from that state. So how can I prevent that, right? Or if you look at uh, disappointment because the results that came in are not matching what uh, you had expected, again, that's going to take us away from that state because it's going to cause, us prob- cause mental agitation. So how do you now deal with that um, uh, you know the results are not completely in our hands, and how do you um, how do you rationalize that? So again, you can keep in that state. So it came down; it, it started becoming very clear that um, the goal of life is then to figure out all those things that take you away from that state, and make sure you work on them so that it doesn't take you away from that state. So I just wanted to point that uh, point that out. Yeah, no, that did cover up. Well, almost entire entire Gita 
you know, this is what we are going to learn, you know, in different ones. I just wanted to highlight actually the next shloka that we were supposed to do. That covers the same thing as well. If you look at it, it does say that, you know, first he refers to Arjun as Purushar Shabha, which is the one who's, uh, you know, who's the best among the Purush. So he's referring to Arjun as that. And then he says that these Dhir Purush, so that's the word that has come again, the one who's ready to get this knowledge. Vyathiyante is, it does, he doesn't get, this Dhir Purush doesn't get disturbed. Doesn't get disturbed by what? He stays Sama Sukha Dukha. So whether there is Sukha or Dukha, he stays equipoised in that. So such a person who is Dhir, who doesn't get disturbed and by, it, by any situation and stays equipoised in Dukha and Sukha, Somritatvai Kalpate. Somritatvai, he, he attains immortality. That's the, that's the essence of that. That is mean, the meaning of um, moksha. And Kalpate is one who's capable of doing that. So if you are, so he, it exactly actually spells out, you know, what we've been discussing, you know, by different people. That's exactly what this shloka is saying. And in no way it is saying it is simple to do. You know, then it wasn't a teaching. It is hard to do, but as you know, Manu was saying, that striving for it. So one is acknowledging that, yes, there is a suffering, but it can be dealt with. As you know, people were saying that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Yes, pain will be there, but do you need to get really all the time thinking about it? Because then it's not going to change it anyways, right? So might as well, if we can be, either increase the tolerance, even with medication, etc., but still trying to be equipoised. I think that is what we need to strive for because that leads to immortality. And there are, you know, enough number of cases where, you know, there are people who can get, you know, surgery done without anesthesia because obviously they can segregate themselves. They can separate themselves from the body. You know, so, so that is the mastery that, that's possible. And that happens even today. So it's not that, you know, some of the things we were discussing, they are from mythology. Yes, we don't know whether it happened or not. But like Ramana Maharshi, even Sri Ramakrishna, uh, you know, Swami SPG, he tells that story a number of times that, oh, rascal caught me out, <laughs> you know, when somebody came and asked, he uses that statement that, you know, are you in pain? Oh, yes, I'm in terrible pain. But you, doesn't, you don't seem to be suffering. Oh, rascal caught me out because he was not, he's not suffering. Yes, the pain is there, but he was not suffering. So there is a way that we can detach. Obviously, I don't think uh, any one of us know how to do it. But, uh, you know, there are some people who can, who have a very, you know, strong, um, they, they, can, they can bear strong pain. Some, they get impacted even by little pain. So I'm sure this tolerance can be developed, you know, once somebody is in a pain. But yeah, I think that's what we can strive for. So that was the second shloka. I, Any... know, I had a question on this shloka. Yeah. Uh, when when we read this Samadukta Samadukta Sukham Nidham. So we have talked about Dukham and how suffering, pain, um, is causing and we need to come to equilibrium. 
it also says sukham so i can yeah i think that introduce yeah. the sukham part and how to bring that into samam i think the the reason why it is that because sukh sukh if it is coming from any desire which has been fulfilled usually if that leads to the sukh that it is talking about uh, we it can lead to greed it can lead to attachment to that situation because we want to continue it we want more of it if it if we get fearful that we may lose it so even that sukh will lead eventually to it can lead to the so it's best to be not too elated by it and then okay it has come that's fine but i'll be okay even if it goes so that's a, that's one way to look at it as well and also you know it can make you arrogant little bit pride a little bit of you know a lot of those qualities that you can think of that can come with you know how that that particular sukh came ranjini over to you yeah yeah so i just wanted to um, you know just a comment on what kishor said so well about um, calmness of mind you know i just think this whole titiksha and calmness of mind i think we spend so much mental energy on just worrying about things that we can't really do the real thing that we want to do anyway you know so i think this whole titiksha i think is so important uh, very difficult to do uh, like uh, rajiv said so well but <laughs> you know i think it it would definitely help us to move forward and just you know take that and try to apply that every day in whatever we can do and i i think that is really well said and very critical um, you know very important quality so it it is over to you krishna hi uh, so just wanted to add one uh, one thought in the previous shloka too it uh, mentioned uh, along with shuka dukha it's like repeated in this uh, shloka to emphasize on treating both the same uh, in the previous one one comment i wanted to add was uh, it's seedha uh, ushna and then shuka dukha so one is uh, heat and cold which is at the body level and another is uh, pleasure and pain which is at the mind level and uh, later on there will be an uh, component sometimes started for body mind and intellect all three separate uh, analogies and then on that note wanted to add uh, that's a very nice poem called if by radiat kipling and in that this uh, same line appears if you can meet pleasure and pain and treat those two imposters just the same uh, and he calls both of them as imposters pleasure and pain as uh, imposters so i thought that had a very nice uh, correlation with this exact uh, bhagavad gita shloka yeah as <laughs> uh, rakhiat kipling guru prindia do you think he was uh, uh, impacted by gita's passage in and that's why he wrote this poem or at least uh, even though he they don't usually give credit to him? um sorry come again no they don't usually give credit to our hindu scriptures but you think like he might have been uh, influenced by our philosophy very 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 possible yes the entire poem of if seems like a very rough translation of lot of bhagavad gita and upanishad teachings uh, like meet everybody but treat them the same and things like that so it all kind of follows a lot of this uh, things I, i i had a quick quick question i know last um, last week there was a question i, I think it it was from uh, vidya if i'm not missing if you can repeat that question I, i'm wondering if uh, we yes. answered some part of it i just wanted to see yeah i, I think we did answer um, i also got the answer from another group so the question was how can we um, 
every day how can we strive to be the perfection that i think today lakshmi said you know come to that stand in equipos yeah position that was the question and i think right. today we need to do that i guess <laughs> yeah no i i i will also just point out one more thing i mean the um you know vedanta comes at it uh, and alpana please correct me if uh, uh, i'm thinking this straight we are uh, one way the multiple ways right and one way is the top down approach of knowing who who am i right that's coming at it from the theoretical understanding and then apply applying it in our daily life right the other way is the bottom bottoms up approach which would be i think the yoga sutras uh, the ashtanga yoga uh, way which is okay you start with yamas and niyamas you start to work on yourself on how you i mean if you look at ahimsa as an example at the level of uh, non violence at the level of physical um speech as well as mind very very important very hard to do i mean even thoughts uh, violent thoughts you start to work on it you haven't said anything but even a, a violent thought shouldn't be there so you start to make your mind more and more pure um and and then work your way up work your way up into um uh, all the way to samadhi in in a way right where you start to see the reality and then under, that understanding dawns that hey this is what it's about right and and um so the, the, obviously there are different ways depending on and somewhere the rubber meets the road between the practical and the theory it has to whether you start from here or from the top down uh, it, it, both are needed and it's an iterative it's not a waterfall model if you will it's more iterative uh, in 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 that sense uh, and going back and forth right so it, it did help me to understand this uh, like gita covers the whole Uh, side whether it's upanishads there is sankhya and there is uh, yoga it, it's all covered um yoga sutras help me and the ashtanga yoga side help me really understand the practical side coming at it from the bottom up side as well so i just want to point that out absolutely yeah that was very yeah that was really good that you said uh, the different types i just want to add what uh, um anu uh, and come she's not here but she told how to look in a self inside you know um, whether you are doing at this moment how to see to yourself and see this energy or see this you know, brahman within you and that makes it much better for me at least when she said that it was like a aha moment for me like even when i'm doing yoga practice when i'm inside and seeing that it makes it much better for me uh, so likewise when i'm reading or saying any chant if i am seeing as a brahman then it makes a better thing for me um, and that has helped me in last at least one week since she said it but uh, the experiences you are saying or maybe now i'll now we share the Yeah, no. I just wanted to to add that yes, these two parts are definitely beautiful, and Kishore, you you explained them nicely. One starts from who am I at a at a very, you know, from unknown getting to the known. The other one is from known going towards what is unknown at this point in time. But I think I I do want to highlight the the bhakti path as well. Yes. Some, it does. It does. Uh, um some people do connect with it very well because it's a third party view so where you are not involved 
you can start with that third party view it will also they'll all lead to the same truth but that is another way to look at it as well and uh, and it helps over to you ajay sorry <laughs> yes so i just i want to make a quick point i know we're running out of time but uh, you know swami chinmayananda also points out that actually all religions at some sort of level uh, at different levels of course but they all talk about the supreme reality uh, some of them are more explicit of course uh, you know vedanta is at a, at a highest level in some ways but even christianity or islam or a number of other religions have that concept in in, in, a, in a sort of subtle form and some of it is uh, you know some people get kind of, there there are obviously some motive being attributed to times as to why Else is what that's just one point I want to make. So, you know, I, I kind of struggle with this thing that our philosophy is better than the other. At the end of the day, I think it's, in a way, sort of everyone leads to the top. Uh, and I wanted to kind of just also bring up one other interesting sort of thing that I stack that I read somewhere. That, and I think this is in Swami N's uh, lecture, if I'm not mistaken. But he says this whole concept of who am I, the supreme supreme reality in the Vedas, is only four percent. I mean that is a kind of the ultimate truth. It's intellectually kind of understood by most of us, but that's only four percent of the Vedas. Sixteen percent is upasana, which is you know faith, and you know it's about sort of your sort of love for God, and you know as as a path to getting to the four percent. But eighty percent is dharma, and. it is that 80% which is what we all need to focus on because that's how we live our day to day life right because if we don't do that 80% uh, some people will argue that the 16% of upasana is enough uh, and that's the path of bhakti yoga but at a certain sort of at least in my sort of uh, the way i think about it now having sort of spent over a year now is that 4% is the easier bit in terms of intellectually understanding it I think the bigger uh, thing is the eighty percent, which is what uh, I think we all sort of, at some level, struggle because that's where <clears throat> the suffering and the happiness and the challenge and the pain and everything comes from. Very nice, thanks, Ajay. I wanted to highlight one thing on this one. Sri Ramakrishna actually did follow different uh, paths and showed that the same truth can be. achieve he actually followed islam for some time he was he would you know read namaz and he would do all of those things actually he was just sitting outside a mosque and just waiting but that intensity so he achieved what the highest is through islam then he was a christian for some time and then obviously uh, the kali bhakt etc um just the other point that i wanted to highlight was that all of these religions they talk about some part after death so i think to your point uh, sonali yes this life is there but all religions they say like christians they talk about the last judgment day so there is something that you have to pay for your you know for your karmas so no one no one actually disagrees that there is something after life uh, thinks so there is some accounting that needs to be taken care of which is beyond this this life i think is what what i wanted to highlight yeah so <clears throat> interest yeah anyone any any last comments from anyone i just wanted to see for next one 
actually the 16 shloka is quite intense so maybe we can do 16 and 17 is 17 in the list let me just check quickly give me a second yes so so we'll cover 16 17 in the next sunday class okay sure yeah sounds good thank you we'll say the shanti mantra and close yeah Om Asadama Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Vrityorma Anandamaya Om Shanti Shanti Loka Samasta Sukhino Bhavantu Loka Samasta Sukhino Bhavantu Loka Samasta Sukhino Bhavantu Variyom Tatsat Shri Krishna Krishna